All right. How's it going today, folks? This is your host of the Point Being Podcast, Edward Salaya. I am joined today, again on Zoom, since we're practicing social distancing, by our local government, Pima County reporter, Jasmine Deemers. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you, Eddie? I'm doing pretty good. So, folks, if you don't know, Jasmine actually used to be my boss this time last year when she was the editor-in-chief of the Daily Wildcat. So it's kind of yeah. interesting to be on kind of the same level nowadays. I know. it's it's Well, I like it a lot more this way. Oh, I don't have to treat you like the queen anymore. Right? <laughs> I mean, you can still treat me like a queen if you want. but <laughs> That's true. That's true. But that's what Jeff's for. That is what Jeff is for. <laughs> but we brought, we brought Jasmine on today to talk a little bit because Jasmine has been on the forefront of our COVID-19 coronavirus coverage. Uh, so we wanted to have her on to talk a little about some stories she's worked on in the past week and a half and some stuff she's working on for the future. Um, so let's go ahead and start with the big story that kind of came from you guys this weekend. Um, both you and another uh, former guest here, Justin Sayers, worked on a piece having to do with contact tracing. Can you kind of explain for our listeners what contract tracing is, why it's important, and kind of how the county, Pima County, is doing with that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like Eddie said, I worked on this story with my colleague, Justin Sayers, and um so we kind of wanted to just delve into what specifically the county was doing to track these cases. Um, and so contract tracing is really just used during any type of disease outbreak, not just COVID-19. They use this to track the flu. They track the measles this way. Um, so really just to identify anybody who might have come into contact with um, the infection in some way or another. Um, and so this has been used kind of across the globe with COVID-19 to determine those folks who need to isolate themselves for 14 days. Um, and here in Pima County, uh, they've kind of, Pima County has enlisted the help of University of Arizona students and faculty. They have this program there called SAFER. Um, and this program has been around for a long time. They've helped the state identify outbreaks for many years now, um, but now they're kind of helping with COVID-19, and they're helping to identify those um, kind of low-risk day-to-day cases. Um, they're calling people up, getting information from them about their um, symptoms, getting information information about their household contacts, things like that. And then the county epidemiologists are the ones who are really focusing on those high risk um, cases like, you know, the, the public health officials that have been impacted by this, they're testing them. They're also following up on, um, you know, these uh, clusters of, of COVID-19 um, in in the area and so um so they're kind of doing that but the thing that the health department has been saying is you know they're not getting this information right away and sometimes they aren't getting enough information so the health department is basically saying that they're not getting enough information um they're not getting the information right away so sometimes by the time that they get the information that someone has tested positive, days have gone by. Um, And so 
basically they're saying that that kind of hinders their tracing efforts mm-hmm. um, because by the time they get that information and follow up, that person could have come into contact with somebody else. And so what, inf- what information then is key? What information are they not getting in those few days or what information could they get to, to help with that contact tracing? So right now they're saying like, you know, sometimes they're just getting like a name and that's not very helpful because they would need to get that, find out what that person's contact information is, their phone number, address, email, whatever. Um, So they have to kind of go back and follow up with the person who did the testing and say, well, hey, we need more information on this. So that's just an additional layer of time that it takes for them to reach out. Gotcha. Um, Go ahead. Um, So are these students like we were students at U of A or are they medical students? It's not just anybody, is it? Yeah. So they're in the department of epidemiology. So they, I mean, these are students that like take classes in this type of stuff and they're students that, uh, you know, if they want to volunteer to be a part of this uh, group, then they would have to be vetted by the health department. They do like their background checks. They have to have like a level of security on their computer to allow them to access these files. They sign confidentiality agreements uh, to make sure that they're not, you know, releasing any information about the patients, um, things like that. Um, And then, you know, we also, Justin and I also spoke to the head of the Department of Ecology um, at the U of A. His name is Michael Warby. And, um, you know, he kind of said that although the health department is saying, you know, it's really difficult at this point with over, I think now we have over 700 cases or identified cases in Pima County, it's really difficult to be able to track all of these cases. Um, but Michael basically said that community-wide testing and contact tracing would be the best way to help identify and curb an outbreak. It's just a matter of Pima County being able to do that and having the resources for it. Um, yeah. Did I explain that well? <laughs> no, that was, that was, that was really good. I guess yeah. my question is then, um, what is the conclusion? Do you feel, or I guess, you know, you're, you're a reporter, it's just the facts <laughs> I know, but what is your understanding of, how well this contact tracing program has gone for the county? Um, so, yeah, this is a tricky question um, because I understand, I, I definitely understand the perspective of the health department. Um, they are very much overrun right now. There is a lot going on, and I think they're definitely trying their best to, to um to track all of these cases, but unfortunately it's, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin and I found out, you know, that there are some places that have been contacted. So for example, when I was talking about these clusters earlier, there's definitely places throughout Pima County where are, there are higher number of cases than other places. Um, for example, long-term care facilities, mm-hmm. um, So Sapphire of Tucson Nursing Home and Rehabilitation Center, um, which is located just behind Banner South, um, is one of those clusters. And so this is a facility that has, or the last time we knew the exact number, it was 27. So they had 27 positive cases and several deaths. Um, And that number has definitely risen um, in the last couple of weeks. We we weren't able to get an updated number on that though. 
Um, so, but these are the types of facilities where there's like unique challenges and people are in close quarters constantly. It's pretty much impossible to not touch patients in facilities like that who have physical and, and um, uh, mental disabilities. So it's very difficult in places like that. Um, but we found that, you know, the health department has followed up with, with that particular center. They said that, you know, they're kind of doing everything they can to prevent the spread in that facility. However, we also found that in other places um, or other events, the health department wasn't following up. So with the bridge tournament that happened um, last month at the Tucson Expo Center, so there was about 800 players there. Um, and one Tucsonan contracted uh, the contracted the virus from another player who was in Colorado the week before. And we know that one of those bridge players died from the virus, one of the ones who was playing in Colorado. Um, so this Tucsonan contracted it and then uh, and the they reached out to the health department, told them what happened, told them that they were part of this, you know, large event. And um, they said that nobody had reached out to them. And we do know at this point that another Tucson Bridge player had uh, also contracted the virus. So there's two that we know of right now. And they're kind of doing within their own group, they're doing their own follow up with each other um, to make sure they know that everybody's okay, which is great. But their concern is that why is, you know, why is the health department not following up with us? So um, again, it's like, I get that the health department is super overrun with things there. They have hundreds of, of cases that they're following up on and, and they're really trying to maintain these, um, these long-term healthcare facilities, which are one of their top priorities right now. So um, it's understandable that they're not following up with everybody, but, you know, I wish that that was a possibility for sure. Yeah, it's, it's got to be tough. I'm sure they are just so overtaxed. And yeah. Of that with the county, I know that uh, it's just not been a great time. There was last week, or excuse me, almost two weeks ago now, the passing of Richard Elias, uh, the county yeah. supervisor chairman. Um, do you have anything as far as updates for the listeners, as far as who might be looking to fill that chair? I know it's been filled right now up until, you know, the election. Um, but who, who's kind of thrown their hat in the ring to replace who was, you know, Richard, who was basically a, a local institution? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yes, Richard was, a, uh, he was, uh, he was elected five times, which is, you know, I mean, it's insane. He was, he was there for a long time. He, he really, really, really cared about this community. So it's, um, it's definitely been difficult not having him around. Um, as far as who's running to replace him right now, for at least based on those who have turned in signatures as of the deadline, so these are the people that would be on the ballot, um, Consuelo Hernandez, who she's also running for Pima County Recorder, and she's also on the board for the Sunnyfied Unified School District. Um, she's one of them, and then we have uh, Fernando Gonzalez, who is a local 
um, small business owner. He's the son of a first-generation immigrant farm worker. Um, we have a political newcomer who I feel terrible because I don't, I'm going to butcher her name, but it's Trista Tramposhti Genova Chang. Um, she's a political newcomer. I don't know much about her. And then we also have, of course, Adelita Grijalva, who is the daughter of Congressman Raul Grijalva. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do know that the family has expressed interest in um, Adelita and, and having her take over that seat. Um, so we'll see what happens um, when people turn in their ballots. That should be interesting. That'll be a very interesting race. Uh, can I go back to the first name you read? So she is running for both. Is she currently running both for for supervisor and for county recorder? So that does that work? She's still on the she's still on the the list for uh-huh. both. Um, if I'm being honest, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know if like. She's because she does have signatures for both. What I'm seeing here. Oh, I lied. I totally lied. That's okay. She does not have signatures for recorder, so she could be pulling out of that race. Okay, Um, got it. Yeah, but once I find out, I'll promise I'll let you know. (laughs) Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, with all that crazy talk, I I think it's probably best to to end this on a on a on a happy and hopeful note. Um, Yeah. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about another story that you recently wrote um, having to do with a coronavirus survivor who was in dire straits at one point? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to speak with Glenn Reed. Um, He is 57 years old, and he just got home from the hospital this last week um, after a month um, at Northwest Medical Center for COVID-19. So um, he was admitted, he went to the ER, he was having trouble breathing, um, he had had a fever for several days, um, and he ended up going to the ER. Um, you know, it looked very much like COVID-19, so the doctors just, you know, started treating it that way. He didn't get his test results back until the 15th, though. Um, but by that time, you know, his breathing had worsened significantly. It was, uh, he was in pretty bad shape. And so they decided to put him on a ventilator. Um, and so, you know, he was innovated. He was, you know, they were doing as much as they could to kind of help him. And he was left on the ventilator for 15 days, wow. which is significantly long time. Like it's, that's uh, quite a long time to be on a ventilator. Um, and so if folks don't know what a ventilator is, it's basically just this machine that breathes for you. Um, and so he was, you know, basically knocked out for 15 days. He was on a lot of, you know, medications to kind of keep him, um, uh, keep him under. And so, uh, it was a, it was difficult for him and his family at that time. And during, while he was on the ventilator, his wife, who's, 58. Her name's Beverly. And she also tested positive for COVID-19 and she was self-isolating at home for that whole time while also having to worry about her husband who was like, you know, trying to fight to survive. Um, And so it was a very, very difficult time for them. But eventually the doctors 
you know, were able to stabilize him enough to take him off the ventilator. Um, and he started to do significantly better. And they did another COVID-19 test. Um, they did actually two. So they do them, they do two more 24 hours apart uh -huh. and they were negative. Um, and then he was able to go home. Uh, so definitely still recovering. There's a lot that he has to do. Um, so, you know, he's doing physical therapy. He, he lost a lot of his muscle mass, so he's having to recover from that. Um, and, uh, but, you know, for the most part, he's doing good. And I felt so lucky to be able to speak with both of them because, you know, they just had this amazing strength and, and faith and, um, they're just feeling, you know, they're feeling stronger than ever after this. And they just had a lot of really positive things to say, even though they went through this, you know, really tragic experience. Well, that is an amazing story. Um, that I think readers will want to see number one, just to, for the, uh, the amazingness of it, the value of that. And number two, just for that hope value, uh, to remind people that most of the people that do get this virus do recover. Um, but it is, it's wild. I, the, the whole ventilator thing, I've, I've read numbers that up to eight and 10 cases when they do go on the ventilator, um, they, they don't come off. It's, it's right. pretty close to a death sentence at that point. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, the doc, when I spoke to his doctor, they, he was saying, you know, it's, it's, it's the, when they take people off the ventilator with this disease, like they have to be very strategic about it because a lot of the times doctors will, will take people off the ventilator too soon and then they'll have to go right back on it. Um, and so that's why they said that they kept him on it for so long was because they wanted to really give him time to heal. Um, and apparently it worked because he's doing, he's doing much better now. Well, that is just the kind of quality of stories that you're going to get out of Jasmine and some of our other colleagues at the Daily Star. So Jasmine, why don't you go ahead and plug your Twitter account or any other social media you'd like to so that our listeners can make sure to follow you and all your stories and all of our colleagues' stories. Yeah, so um, follow me at uh, Jasmine A. Demers on Twitter. It's just, yeah, J-A-S-M-I-N-E-A-D-E-M-E-R-S. Um, that's where you'll be able to find all of my stuff. And then obviously always follow the Arizona Daily Star on Facebook and Twitter because that's where you're gonna get the most up-to-date information. That is not a lie. That is definitely verified truth right there from one of our best reporters at the Daily Star, Jasmine Jasmine, thank you so much for joining me here over Zoom again on The Point Being. Uh, for all of our listeners, I do want to let you know that all of the views expressed here today are not necessarily those of me or Gannett Enterprises. And uh, for all of our listeners, for Jasmine, I'm Edward Salaya. Thank you so much for listening to The Point Being.